Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series, especially for tourism operators and professionals. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania, or TICT, the peak industry body for tourism and the visitor economy in the beautiful state of Tasmania. I'm your host today, Luke Martin, and my day job is as Chief Executive of TICT. Today's episode of Talking Tourism is one of a series of episodes we're producing every fortnight through the COVID-19 emergency, featuring conversations with industry and government leaders on the latest developments of the crisis relevant to the Tasmanian tourism industry and onto our recovery. Along with operators and gurus with tips and insights into the business assistance available and strategies all operators can be applying in their own business now, as well as some of the government support packages being made available to enable us to ride through the storm. And in this context, we appreciate the support of the Tasmanian government in making these podcasts available, along with Caleb Miller at Mac40 Media for production. Two weeks ago, we spoke with Tasmania's Tourism Minister, who also happens to be the State Premier, Peter Gutwin, on his insights into the crisis and the road ahead for our tourism industry and the visitor economy. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by the Opposition Spokesperson for Tourism, who is also the Leader of the State Opposition and the Labor Party in Tasmania, Rebecca White. G'day, Beck. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for taking the time. Um, we're just talking about off-air about um, balancing a lot of things, and I know you're also um, a mum at home with the kids, so uh, hopefully uh, half an hour you can pause a little bit and hopefully um, you're, able to, you're able to get through this. I, yeah, I'm hoping for no... Uh interruptions throughout this period, which has happened a couple of times. <laughs> All right. Well, if we, we hear Mary in the backdrop, we'll, uh, we'll uh, say hello. <laughs> um Look, this is a really challenging and unusual time for all of us, and I think everyone's roles are being redefined around the crisis, and I'm sure yours included. And I guess, firstly, what, what approach, or I guess what's your been main priority over the last few weeks? The main priority initially was helping people. A lot of people were really scared, and there's an enormous amount of anxiety, and people had a huge amount of questions about what they could and couldn't do or what they were supposed to do. So initially... My job was was really just helping people across the community understand what the government decisions meant for them and helping them navigate through that and also working very closely with the government then. It was probably a, it was a massive change, I think, in how our, our political system operate in Tasmania and a lot of the work we were doing was behind the scenes. Obviously, Parliament sat for a little bit, but then we rose for a while. So it, it was a lot of conversations either individually with the Premier or with people in his office about suggestions we had or concerns that had been raised by members of the community that needed to be addressed that we were able to resolve really quickly. It was actually quite a collaborative working arrangement that resulted in some good outcomes for the community during that time. Yeah, I guess I, so. I think we've all observed, and it's been commented by yourself and by the Premier, and I think Cassie O'Connor, the leader of the Greens, that you know the usual rules of engagement for politics and political discourse have been put aside, and you know the, I guess the perception or all view that every that there is a genuine cross-party collaboration is is very true. That is that that's been the approach over the last few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. We've felt it's been so important for people to um, not hear conflicting messages. It's already difficult enough for people and it was really a decision we took early on was really important for us to support the government. They were going to make some tough decisions and we said from the very beginning that we would back them 100% for any of the tough decisions that they had to make to keep our community safe and to save lives. And I hope people have, have seen us do that because 
all of the conversations I've had with the Premier have been encouraging him to be cautious and make big decisions if he thinks they're necessary and know that we won't criticise him for that. Um, we've said as well that we will hold them accountable and, you know, there's a lot of things that I've raised privately with the Premier to bring to his attention that have been raised with me that I want him to be able to fix. You know, we all live here together as a community. I want our community to be safe. I'm thinking about, you know, friends and family. I have grandparents. They're all the people I think all of us had front of mind mm. when this pandemic first hit and none of us wanted to see anybody suffer. So we were very willing to work closely with the government to make sure that we could keep people safe. You're right about, um, I think, the the sense of crisis or the sense of uncertainty over those, particularly that shutdown period, that, that first two weeks. And you know, certainly from our perspective, it was almost like literally day by day, the industry was yeah, given was. a new development. And the last thing you needed was, a, 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 a I felt, last thing that, you know, those people who are living that experience out in the community and, and business operators needed was kind of a political barney about, you know, whether it was too far or one way or the other, I guess that... Your point about you know consistency of messages, or once the decision's made, to to explain it rather than necessarily argue it. We thought that was important, and for it's just so critical. I think at this time, Luke, that people have confidence in government and that they follow the directions of government. That's the most important thing that we want people to do right now. And as an opposition party, you might say, well, you know, that's a bit counterintuitive for our ambition to be the alternative government. But at this point in time. I want people to trust Peter Gutwin. I want them to follow his direction. I want them to do what the government's asking them to do because they are doing those things based on public health advice. We are in a state of emergency. Uh, it is really important that everybody feels confident in the information government's giving them and that they don't feel that that's been undermined at all because of a political reason. So we took a decision very early that we weren't going to do that um, because we wanted to be able to give the community confidence that we were all on board here with the same decisions the government was making because we trusted the advice from public health officials that it was the right thing to do to keep communities safe. And I think, you know, judging by the fact that we've seen zero cases now for the last couple of days in Tasmania, mm. that it's been the right thing for us to take that position because it's, and Australia, broadly speaking, has been able to work across parties to get good outcomes for community and look where we are now. You know, we're nearly yep. the envy of the world. It's an extraordinary position to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the challenge probably is how much that's going to, if we look ahead where the stage we're at now, obviously the, the debate or the conversation is very much shifting now. And the hope, I think people wanting that light at the end of the tunnel to be a lot closer um, and as close as it can be around some of these restrictions being lifted and clearly in our sector, that's that's front of mind around you know, hospitality operators or indeed movement within the state. Um, that It'll be interesting to see whether that, that you know, I guess harmony or commonality of messaging is going to continue or we will start to see you know, a little bit more agitating, which probably is human nature, just about wanting to see um, you know, changes or restrictions, certain restrictions lifted sooner than others. And I'm, I guess I'm you know, mindful of the conversation around schools that's been going on the last couple of days, for example. Do you think that'll continue yeah. or how, how are you going to handle that going forward now? I think both the Premier and myself have agreed that the biggest threat to our economy is failing to get on top of this virus. And that's why it's taken the priority. And that's been very important. But certainly there are lots more people now wondering what will happen, you know, in the next couple of weeks if we see no new cases over the next two weeks, then we should start to talk about what we need to do next to start to open our economy up again. And I expect there will be differences of opinion about that. Um, we'll still take advice from public health officials. We're getting briefings from them weekly now through the government too, which we're very grateful for. But uh, I think particularly for the tourism and hospitality sector, there's a 
a recognition that not only was it the hardest hit and the first hit, but it's probably going to be the slowest to recover because of the restrictions in domestic tourism and international tourism, because of the challenges globally around how other countries are managing this pandemic. So given that, I think there needs to be special consideration for how we support the tourism and hospitality sector, particularly when you think about um, what sort of consumer demand there's going to be. A lot of people have used up their leave, so uh, and they've they've lost their jobs or they've had hours reduced. So is there disposable income in our customer base to yeah. to travel and to experience what Tasmania has to offer? So I think we need to understand who our customer is what our market is, and have an honest conversation with the sector about what reopening looks like so that you've got very good idea about um, how to restore your business. Do you have to do renovations because social distancing is going to be in place for a long time? Mm. So what does that mean if you've got shared spaces where you have um, people come together in your accommodation, your business? Um, what happens if you've had a very heavy reliance on overseas tourists and that market may not open for a much longer period of time? Well, it won't compared to domestic tourism. So how do we reconfigure that business so that it's still viable and sustainable until such time as you get those customers back? These are the conversations that we need to be having with the industry now so that they can make decisions about what they do with their business, what they do with their staff, and who they might like to start marketing to so that they can grow their customer base. Yeah, the, a lot of the assistance packages that obviously being really warmly welcomed, particularly in JobKeeper, I think it's one we, we all um, have obviously mm. identified as really critical, but there's a time limit on some of those uh, programs, um, JobKeeper's September, and I think um, yeah. you know the reality is a lot of businesses that are going to be carrying staff, uh, as you say, a, a very uncertain market. I mean, we'd love to, for it to have a very steep V-curve um, recovery, but you're right, we just don't have any context of what the economy is going to be like uh, you know, interstate to be able to people to get away, um, let alone uh, what the local uh, environment will be like. And I think with something like JobKeeper, which is certainly very welcome and has helped a lot of businesses keep their staff engaged, uh, for a sector like tourism and hospitality, we'll need to stay longer than the September period that is currently um, mm. envisaged it will be provided until. I don't think the national government's going to be able to lift that payment nationally at the same time. It'll require a region-specific response and an industry-specific response, depending on what sector of the economy you're trading in. And I think tourism hospitality, if you're thinking about lifting that type of package of support in the sort of the shoulder season before you get into a, a summer trading season, that's going to be particularly difficult because businesses missed out on Easter this yep. year and the money that normally comes with that that helps businesses get through winter a lot of our uh, communities were impacted by bushfires again so there's quite a number of tourism and hospitality businesses that have suffered impacts to their cash flow in peak periods that would normally sustain them through winter which might help them come out in september but it's not available to them so cash flow is going to be a massive issue for businesses so things like jobkeeper are excellent but i think government need to think about how they withdraw those payments given the impacts on some sectors of our economy has been much harder uh, felt. Tourism and hospitality is obviously one of those and our opinion is that it should be a staged removal of that payment dependent on the region and dependent on the industry so that we don't have a situation where those businesses come out of hibernation and then lose that assistance 
and can't afford to keep their staff on because they haven't got cash flow. And then you have another massive spike in the unemployment rate and that's yeah. devastating for those businesses too. Yeah, and the uncertainty it's created for and, – and this is this is a challenging one because it's a lot of the medium-sized businesses that obviously have certain scale to operate. So, you know, I'm thinking a hotel or a motel or a, a larger attraction and a lot of their staff have, um, have been probably been put on JobKeeper and then – you know, September, October, uh, create that sense of confidence or um, certainty or security for the employee just to have the business turn around in, you know, six months and not be looking at a, a market uh, demand that they were perhaps forecasting or hoping for and then obviously left with a, a significant loading of staff and, you know, again, the, you know, the challenge for operators and businesses to um, then have to make those decisions about their staff when the, that support's not there. So I think the staged approach or the sector-specific approach um, – um, it's obviously going to have to be a, a, a way that this will go rather than just a flat out, you know, the, the tap of government support stops on this date and uh, everyone needs to look after themselves. Yeah, it's also another really important reason why government need to articulate the plan for what the easing of restrictions look like and a time frame for that. Other countries like New Zealand, for instance, have got a very clear um, one, you know, their, their system is stages of one, two, three and four. So you mm. know what you're dealing with at each stage. We haven't got the same clarity of communication here in Tasmania and I think that's going to be really important for recovery so that businesses can understand, okay, when we get to stage three, this is what it looks like, this is what I can do. But when we then ease to stage two, this is what I can start to plan to do because people in the tourism and hospitality sector are going to need to have some cash flow before those packages of support are removed at least a couple of months you would expect. So if the plan is to remove them in September, those businesses need to have been able to trade for the two months leading up to that yeah. just to have enough cash flow right. so they can actually survive. So yep. this is where the communication from government about what their plan is and the time frame for when they're going to start easing restrictions becomes really important so businesses can make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously that time frame that uh, they staged our processes do you have any sense of when we could expect that to come? Because I think everyone knows it needs to come. It's just, uh, are we there yet? Are we are we at a point where the, you, you feel confident that the the government or you know the, or the, the our governing bodies could put a put a clear time frame out for operators to, to start having that surety? I don't know if it could be a time frame, but I think they could clearly communicate what the different um, stages would look like and what would happen in each of those stages, and. We know that um, the period for incubation for this virus is 14 days. Mm. So we're now the third day in from having zero cases. So arguably, you know, at the end of that 14-day period, you could say, well, hopefully there are no more cases in Tasmania. But the only way we can be sure of that is if we're doing enough testing. And at the moment, we're only doing about 600 tests a day and it's simply not enough. So that's one of the things we've been urging the government to do is increase the testing because then we... Uh, can, you know, then we'll have confidence that we completely understand what's happening in terms of the spread of the virus in the community and then you can't, can start to lift restrictions and then you wait a bit and you see what happens and then you ease restrictions further and you wait to see what happens and then you can have intrastate trade yeah. and then hopefully interstate trade and, and domestic tourism can return again. Well, the time frame for that will be dependent on what happens with this outbreak in the northwest, I think, for Tas in Tasmania's case. Yeah. And whether we feel confident we're on top of that. But the only way we can really assess that is if we're doing enough testing. Um, I, I think that there's an opportunity for us within two weeks' time, yeah. given the cases have been zero over the last three days, for us to then seriously start thinking about lifting some restrictions. Yeah. 
and what industries they they choose to lift those in also depends on how um, hard work safe have been able to work with businesses across Tasmania to develop those COVID-ready plans that yep. Premier continues to talk about yep. to make sure businesses have got the information they need so they can do things safely. Have they got enough supplies, you know, sanitizers? Uh, is there going to be restoration of supply chains so they've got the, you know, the stuff they need to actually trade? Uh, and also what do businesses do if somebody does show up to the premises and they're sick? Do they have a crisis management plan in place so that they know exactly how to manage that situation if it arises? These are the sorts of things we need to be supporting businesses with information about now so that when the restrictions start to lift, not only are they ready, they've been thinking about it for weeks and they know exactly what to do. The um, $64 million question the for, for our sector is clearly when, at what point, do you lower the drawbridge? And I guess from your perspective, what I'm struggling to get my head around is at what point does, assuming we potentially go weeks, months, um, with zero transmissions in Tasmania, but there is always, sounds things we're never going to get into zero across the country, at what point do you make that decision to essentially introduce interstate travel? And have you got your head to that at any point? Because I don't know if I've heard that discussion actually play out at any level. The thing about Tasmania that's quite different is that we are an island, so mm. we depend on planes and at the moment there's so much uncertainty about what's happening with air travel obviously virgin's gone into administration Qantas is still flying tiger's not so i think this is going to be part of the challenge because is it going to be affordable to come to tasmania if there's only one airline and the tt line docks in victoria and victoria is still in a lot of trouble Mm. they're still dealing with some significant outbreaks that have continue to present in different sectors of their economy, meatworks, schools, mental health facilities. So they're not on top of it. So there they are to, I suppose, if you say lifting the drawbridge, mm. if you if you put it back down again, at the moment it goes in, into Victoria, yeah. if it's TT line, and airline travel is a little bit unpredictable because of the fact we've only got Qantas flying. So yeah. I think that is going to be a bigger impact on Tasmania than what happens elsewhere across the country, unfortunately. And that could be quite detrimental for a number of our businesses because we've been so good getting people to come to Tasmania to experience what's amazing about being a visitor here and living here. But if people can't get here, obviously it doesn't matter how terrific the product is, it's going to be very challenging for our operators. That's right. And it's going to be quite challenging. I mean, we're already seeing NT, for example, about uh, lifting the standards and and WA and when some of those states, as you say, um, potentially move before us, um, obviously, and quite rightly, a lot of our business operators and and local economies that are going to be screaming out for that visitor injection uh, are going to be getting quite anxious about, well, when's our turn? And when do we mm. when do we drop that drawbridge? And if you can resume some flights, so you can have direct flights between other states where you've got zero cases. So yeah. Western Australia, South Australia, Queensland, Northern Territory, the ACT. I mean, New South Wales and Victoria are the only states where you've still got some concerns about whether they've controlled things as well as you'd like. But those other states, you can have direct flights. The yeah. question then becomes, who's going to do the who's going to fly? Yeah. Uh, and can you, if it's just Qantas, are people going to be able to afford to pay? because of the economic impact of this virus and the fact it's really affected everybody. There's not a single person I've met that hasn't felt some impact because of this virus, whether it's a health impact or an economic impact or a social impact. So people will be carefully watching how they spend their money. And I have no doubt that Tasmania's experiences and the 
the products that we offer will be incredibly enticing. Yeah. And people want to come here and, and just get away from it, it feel all. Feel safe and clean and you That's know, comfortable right. so and there's yeah. a lot to sell, but um, yeah, reaching those markets with the marketing message is one thing. Physically transporting them here, I think, is going to be the challenge. Yeah. You, I'm interested, you penned a piece in the Mercury, I think, last week about, you know, again, trying to look ahead forward for the state, perhaps about the opportunities that can come to address some of our you know, inherent, I guess, economic and social challenges as a state. And when you look at our visitor economy, you're right. I mean, we are working off a, almost a zero base in terms of access and visitor numbers, um, which you never thought you'd... Never in wildest dreams could I think you'd actually have potentially have a month of zero visitation into the state or or leisure visit, visitation and and um, so we're working off a zero base. What what do you guess? What would you perhaps look at Crystal Glaze Ball about uh, the potential for us to rebuild our our state, our visitor economy, our tourism industry, and what are the opportunities perhaps over the next couple of years we should we should pursue rather than just obviously you know, the 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 nuts and bolts of trying to build up an economy of scale again. Well, Tasmania already does so many things so well and I don't think you need to necessarily change the product mix or the experience mix, but this um, pandemic is going to force us to think very carefully about who we market to and who our customer is. And we'd already started having the debate in Tasmania about whether it's a volume proposition or whether it's a value proposition. I think this is going to reinforce the fact that Tasmania as a place to visit is going to be for those people who really value what it is that Tasmania offers. And this will help us to connect with the market that's willing to pay too. Mm. So it's it's going to help us, if we take the opportunity, position ourselves very clearly as a high-value destination that has extraordinary assets, you know, natural assets, customer experiences that people are willing to travel to the end of the world for. And it's going to be really necessary for us to capitalise on that given the constraints to travel and the constraints to people's incomes that will be felt. So I think Tasmania is well positioned to capitalise on our brand and our reputation and to be able to market to capture those niche markets and also growing markets where people are willing to pay to experience something extraordinary and we shouldn't, um, I think, divert from that too much in the what will become quite necessary for some businesses to get volume. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a challenge to make to find the right balance there. But I think, unfortunately, the fact that we are positioned where we are as an island, as we've talked about, physically getting here is going to be challenging and possibly expensive given the uncertainties at the moment. So, therefore, let's do what we do really well, capitalise on our brand advantages and our reputation and position Tasmania to take the cream yeah. because – that's where I think we we build sustainability for our future uh, tourism and hospitality industries. There's going to be a lot of Australian destinations desperately pursuing mass tourism, mass market. And I guess uh, the the you know where we have always played at our strengths is that is and what our greatest success over 10, 15 years has been shifting from you know that mass market, cheap and cheerful, you know, going down to Tassie and bung around and um, for a couple of weeks at the cheapest I can to to really having some premium products that uh, the market has responded to. So. I guess you know that lens about not getting, not losing a, a, a taking off the main ball game of uh, being in this premium destination where people really do value and um, and obviously create as much economic activity as we can when we get them here. Yeah, that's right. And I sense, I mean, that'll be that'll be a point of conflict, I imagine, in the industry because there'll be some people who just desperately need customers, yeah. and the T30 process is going to be really critical to helping engage those members in the conversation about 
what the vision for Tasmanian tourism looks like. So I hope that continues throughout this period because it's going to be so necessary to build consensus about what is it that Tasmania wants to to market, what are the brand attributes that we really want to promote and how do each of the businesses in Tasmania capitalise on that so that they can continue to be sustainable and viable. Um, probably just finish off, uh, yeah, and again, don't want to go into your own personal circumstances too much, but I mean, a lot of you, our listeners would be familiar with, with your business here for your husband's business, or and I'm sure it's family operation down to the nth degree, um, Waddle Banks. And obviously I think you've invested significantly over the last couple of years in your own, well, Rod, Rod obviously has in, in Richmond and the like. And I guess you've lived this experience that most of our listeners would as well about some of these staff decisions and, you know, forward planning. I'm, I'm sure there's been a few sleepless nights wearing that hat as well. And I guess yeah. about yeah, <laughs> looking ahead, are, are you positive? I mean, you've obviously invested into into our industry significantly in your own right, your family has. And how optimistic and positive are you about the future wearing your, your personal hat, obviously, as well as your, your much broader public role? We're feeling pretty positive. There's still a lot of uncertainty. And I think... Um, Missing out on that Easter trade, obviously, and the summer and the Ford bookings that just evaporated, was that was a pretty scary point in time, mm. especially because Rod's business, uh, he's been doing the mobile catering for a while, but the actual restaurant cafe yeah. started up uh, less than a year ago. So that too in itself has been really quite difficult because all of the casual employees were ineligible for the JobKeeper payment. Yeah, of course. Um, which has been pretty difficult. And as a new business, had to go wait for the information to become available on the ATI around what the test would be for them to make application to register for JobKeeper, which has occurred now. But from 22 staff, gone back to eight um, because a number of staff were casual, sadly, and yeah. two visa workers. So this yeah, is <laughs> right. another situation where, uh, unfortunately, people in our community who've been contributing, paying taxes, have, have missed out. Yeah. on accessing support and it would be quite possible for the federal government to extend that support to casual workers, visa workers, students under the age of 22 yeah. who don't qualify for job seeker or job keeper to be able to access this support too so that they're not facing the prospect of poverty essentially. So it's been challenging. I've sensed that you know, we've been able to continue to trade, providing takeaway, yeah. keeping the, the permanent part-time staff I noticed, I noticed something on, on so, I noticed something on social media about uh, Mother's Day packages, so clearly embrace the yes. online sales, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also my other, my dad and my brother's yeah, of course. business, Red Banks, yeah. has been massively hit too, so stop trading. Um, so, yes, it's had a personal impact as well yeah. and everyone's managing through okay but certainly understand the anxiety in the industry, the impact it's had on employees, um, the challenges of negotiating the tax office website and understanding what the different packages of support look like and how to apply for them and also where the gaps are yeah, and, as and say, the, the fact that we can still do more to, to support people. Those difficult conversations with, you know, say, for example, foreign workers are very much, you know, part of our community and supported and, you know, basically have to tell them, sorry, I've got nothing for you. And that, that I mean, that I know that conversation's been difficult for every employer that, you know, um, does make them feel, um, you know, essentially undervalued. <laughs> unvalued. And, and um, you know, those difficult conversations one-on-one -on -one with, with people in a really uncertain times, not easy for anyone. No, it's awful. So I congratulate everybody in, in the industry who's found a way through this. I know of a lot of incredibly generous people out there who've supported people themselves 
and businesses who are supporting their staff through this time and helping them make ends meet. And I just think that's incredibly generous and just testament to how great Tasmania as a community is and this, this industry and that it does really value its employees and looks after them. It's really unfortunate that it's come to this, but also it's some of the silver lining that you see in an industry like this where people don't just work for somebody, they're actually part of the yeah, fabric fa- of the part of business the family. and the community. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's been amazing. I, I just, you know, generally hard-nosed business people that have been generally emotionally um, distraught about, um, you know, just what they consider an injustice and about their own staff. And that to me, I think, has been quite a telling. I'm not sure many industries would quite have that level of commitment in, the, in wanting to do the right thing by the staff. And that's been quite a one of the, again, the things that have been positives you hang out of um, what's been a, such a horrible situation for everyone. Um, it has. It has. But yeah. you're right, Luke. And I think that's the hope that we all have at the moment is that we can use that goodwill and support one another through this and when we start to recover, we can pick up where we left off. On that note, Beck, thank you. Thanks for keeping it up. Um, I know you've been you know, sending in contact with me on a daily basis in some way or the other, you or your office. So, um, you know, as Shadow Minister, you, you've um, you've well and truly wanting to stay on top of it. And as I say, you're living the experience as well that most of our operators are. So, you, you know firsthand exactly what a lot of our listeners are going through. So, um, please continue to be that advocate for the industry and um, and obviously, um, you know, the more constructive and positive contribution you can make around policy that, you know, obviously the government's doing or indeed that the Labor Party takes forward over the the, uh, the slow recovery that we're going to have over the next six to 12 to 18 months. Um, keep it up. Thanks, Luke. Good Cheers. luck, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.